everybody. Welcome back to Going for Two, the podcast here from Extra Points that tries to dig a little bit deeper into all the forces that shape college athletics. Uh, I am the publisher of Extra Points, Matt Brown, coming to you here from beautiful, snowy Chicago. And I'm joined here by my co-host, Brian Fisher. Uh, it is good to be back with you for episode number two and uh, one that is uh, certainly a little closer to me uh, being out here on the West Coast in, in Los Angeles uh, and, and has to deal with the Pac-12, of course, is uh, certainly a monumental shift for the league coming up uh, with the announced departure of Larry Scott. And uh, there's nobody better uh, in, in my estimation to talk about the Pac-12 with uh, than our next guest and in, in John Willner of the Bay Area News Group. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to him because I think it's it's important for us to move beyond the fire Larry Scott memes I've, I've written about that. I wrote about this a lot when I was still at Vox Media. I wrote about this on Extra Points recently. I think there's a limit to what's actually within the control of a conference commissioner. A lot of that depends on institutional leadership. It depends on you know macro, cultural, and economic forces. But I think we both agree Larry Scott stepped on his share of his fair share of rakes over the course of his tenure. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with John to better understand what was really in his control, what's in control of the next individual, and what isn't in, in, in their control. We're joined now by John Wilner, the terrific Bay Area News Group reporter that covers the Pac-12, the, the oracle of the Pac-12, and the writer of the terrific uh, Pac-12 hotline newsletter, which you can subscribe to on their website. And uh, John, I, I, I'm curious, when you look at the tenure of Larry Scott, this kind of divorce, was it always kind of in the cards at this point in time, given there's some pretty historic media rights negotiations coming up for the conference in a couple of years? Yeah, I think that uh, those media rights deals are probably going to start the negotiations, you know, late 2022, and his contract was set to expire in the summer of 22. So it was basically two decisions in one. If you keep him, then you're saying, if you give him an extension, then you're saying he's leading the media rights. If you don't want him to lead the media rights, then you can't give him an extension. Uh, in, in my opinion, there was nothing mutual about it. He wasn't going to come back. Uh, the writing has been on the wall forever. He doesn't have the votes, and he hasn't had the votes. Uh, and I think that if the pandemic hadn't happened, they may have made this decision much earlier, to be honest. Um, but you know that certainly was a a reasonable excuse for putting other things on hold. Uh, but now, you know, uh, they are hoping to have somebody in place by this summer. Uh, but that person, whoever it's going to be, you need time to learn your campuses, to learn your audience, uh, to set a strategy for those, those negotiations. And so you get somebody in place this summer, that gives them basically a year to, to get up to speed. And then you got to really set this, you know, sit down with your consultants and start to get get your uh, your strategy set for the for the fall of 2022. I feel like there's a, a lot of, of social media conversation, particularly from Pac-12 fans about some of the the various missteps from the Larry Scott administration over these past couple of years. And, you know, from your perspective, what do you think was the, the most significant? Was that something associated with the launch of the network? Was it the officiating scandals? Was there something in particular that really leaps out to you as this really should have gone differently? Well, I guess it depends a little bit on your your context and your time frame, right? I mean, if we we're going to look at the sweep of his 12 years, I think the biggest misstep was the Pac-12 Networks because of the, the amount of money and the lost exposure over time. I mean, this is a 12-year 
12-year deal. Their contracts are for 12 years. That's 12 years of revenue and 12 years of eyeballs that they are missing out compared to what they expected to have. I mean, DirecTV alone, you know, was probably going to be close to 50 million a year. And that's a lot of money over, over all that time. Now, if you're going to kind of get a little bit more specific, I mean, the things that would jump out to me, um, the, the officiating scandal with the, the instant replay issue, that really kind of was the last straw in a way for, for I think, the athletic directors uh, in terms of them saying, you know what, things have got to change. We have to be more involved. Uh, you know, you guys don't know what you're doing at the conference office. Um, and there was a lot to be said for that because the people in charge of Pac-12 football didn't really have any college football experience. So that was a big one. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I don't know what, what role it played with the presidents, but, you know, just from the standpoint of, of leadership, the, the situation with the, uh, with the executive bonuses, paying the executive bonuses last summer, a month before you laid off staff and furloughed staff, to me was like, all right, you know, you can't lead. You can't lead after you do that, right? And it was people on the campuses were furious that he had done that. And it was almost like just him. I, I wonder if he knew back then that he was not going to be retained and he was just saying, I, I don't care. I know it might look bad, but I'm going to take my bonus and make sure my people have their bonuses. I, I don't really know what the explanation was, but to me, you know, that was not simply a mistake uh, in process or procedure. Uh, it, that was just wrong on every level. And you'd lose all of your uh, ability to, to lead, in my opinion, after that. You know, that's that's a good point. And I, I think it's important maybe for an outsider to, to recognize the context for all of these things, right? All the three things that you talked about are all very significant. They all damage your brand, but they might you might be able to survive them if that's the only thing that happened. But if you're already somebody who's getting a lot of public criticism over the media deal, and then you have a crisis in officiating, and then you have what just on the outside appears to be hilariously tone deaf. Well, then it's not really a straw that breaks the camel's back so much as it is multiple two by fours, um, you know, all put together. Well, it's two by fours and there's some one by threes in there, yeah. you know, uh, and there's some quarters by halves, uh, <laughs> you know, because there were a lot of issues that really didn't get a whole lot of play in the media because they were so in the weeds, but just the, you know, the, the dynamic between the campuses and the conference office has been wrong for a long time. It's been upside down. It's like the, the campuses are working for the conference office, right? And, and that gets back to expenses too, in some ways. The conference office's job is to, to find every last dollar that it can send to the campuses. And you certainly got the uh, impression that that wasn't the priority in San Francisco. Are the Pac-12 presidents really driving the bus on this one? I, I know there's obviously been friction between the campus ADs and the conference office, but also kind of the future direction uh, of the conference. Uh, it, it seems to be firmly resting with some some new age presidents that have been hired in the last couple of years at a lot of these campuses. Um, is that your sense? I think that the presidents are certainly driving the hiring process and specifically three of them, uh, Washington, Washington State and Oregon. Uh, are make up the executive committee of the CEO group. And although it's heavily, obviously, tilted to the Northwest, it's just a coincidence. It's all who's on that executive committee is all based on seniority. 
Um, so they are going to do the legwork for the for the hiring, and then the, the 12 presidents and chancellors will vote. But I think the athletic directors are going to have a little bit of input with their presidents, and I think the athletic directors will have much more say in how the conferences run once the new commissioner gets in than they did when Scott, when Scott took over. He, the presidents just basically gave him the king, keys of the kingdom and said, you run this show. And so the ADs were cut out for, you know, seven or eight years, which was problematic because there was a lot of institutional knowledge that was lost. But I think they'll have much more involvement uh, in the conference operations once, once a new uh, commissioner gets in. And the, and the presidents are very much going to run this show. And it is, you're right, Brian, it, it's a whole new group other than UCLA and ASU. They are all new since Scott was hired. And most of them, uh, off the top of my head, six or seven of them are new in like the last four years. So they came into the conference during all this tumult and when everybody is complaining about night games and when the budgets are tight and the, the brand is damaged for a number of reasons. So they have walked into this uh, quagmire. And I think that, that the new presidents were probably a lot quicker to want to make change than, than the old ones. You know, that dynamic is really interesting to me because I, I think back about what we've seen with the Big Ten over the past couple of months. And that's a, a conference that you know went outside the college football bubble and brought in Kevin Warren, who had more of a professional uh, athletic experience. But it also came in at a time when there was a lot of turnover within the Big Ten presidents group. I, I think I think half the that conference has a president that's been there for less than 18 months. And I think we saw during the pandemic and during that league's decision to initially postpone football, there was a lot of tension uh, between who was actually driving that show and, and who had built up relationships with, with, with campus leaders. Um, and now you, you have not exactly a similar situation, but, but some similarities, I think, here with, with the Pac-12. Do you think that that makes this more important for the conference to hire somebody with a very strong college athletics background, or would they still consider a potential outsider knowing that there's less institutional knowledge there now than there might've been eight years ago? Yeah. I mean, I think that they are going to look at both within college sports and, and outside probably from, you know, the TV or media world. It's a, I think the the big 10 thing is really interesting. And so is the ACC thing. And when you put the two of them together, you've kind of got the two ends of the spectrum there. Right. And the AC, it almost seems to me that the ACC hiring of Jim Phillips was a result of what that conference saw that the problems Kevin Warren had, you know, for the last summer, Sure. And the problems the the Pac-12 has had with somebody who is not from college sports. And I I wonder if there was a concerted effort by the ACC ADs and presidents to make sure they had somebody who, uh, you know, understands campus life and all of the challenges that are going to be facing college sports. And Jim Phillips, you know. As you guys know, as respected an AD as there is in in the country. And it's interesting that he didn't get the Big Ten job. And they went outside the box, and then he does get the ACC job. And I think that that's going to have an impact on the Pac-12's uh, approach. I think they have to have somebody who uh, who understands college sports, who knows what campus's life about is about, who understands NIL, who you know all of this stuff. Uh, and then they hire a consultant to do the media rights, right? I mean, even if they hired a TV executive that person is still going to hire a consultant to do the TV rights, to do all the legwork. So why would you hire, you know, double up? So 
but the whole thing is really interesting. And, and the search firm that they hire, I think, is going to be really interesting. And how much is it a pure higher ed firm versus how much is it one of the traditional sport college sports search firms? So we'll see. You mentioned uh, some of the short list of, of candidates. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of overlap between some of the names we heard out, out of that ACC search versus this Pac-12 one. I'm curious if you could maybe handicap the field a little bit. Curious what your take is on, on uh, some of the names that have been thrown out. Yeah, I mean, there's some good names. But the, to me, there are two, two key questions, very broad questions. Do they go inside the box with, with a, a college sports lifer versus somebody from the media world, TV executive? And also, are they going to consider anybody from within the conference currently? Any of the sitting ADs in the conference, right? Because there's there's a few that that could do the job and probably would would have broad support from all the all the uh, the schools. But I don't know if the presidents are going to want to promote from within. That that you know, there's some tricky dynamics, and I think the Big Ten, you know, is a little bit of a, a model there that the, the way they did not hire Jim Phillips. Um, but if they do, if they do go within the college sports world, I mean, you know, I wrote this and I'll say it. they, their first call probably should be Bob Bowlesby, right? I think Bowlesby is super smart. He's been an AD. He was an AD at Stanford. So he knows the, he knows the PAC 12. He, he was part of the search, uh, process that, that ended up with Larry Scott. Um, he knows college football, obviously he knows the, the NCAA issues, I don't know if he's interested in leaving the Big 12. I don't know if he wants to move back to the West Coast, but certainly uh, he should be one of the first first calls they make just to see if he'll pick up the phone. I mean, who knows? You know, you can always get tired of dealing with Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> exactly. And, and you mentioned a guy like Bob Bowlesby. I'm curious what you think about in terms of the age profile of this job. I mean, it's been talked about with Jim Phillips a lot. This is kind of a, a new age of uh, commissioners, um, younger uh, certainly. And, uh, you know, a guy like Bob Holsby, Gene Smith has been mentioned at Ohio yep. State to guys that are in their late 50s, early 60s. Yep. And I'm curious what kind of direction the conference is, is looking to go. Is this a hire for the next two decades? Is this a hire to kind of get them back on track for the next four or five years? How, how do you kind of view that? Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. And, and I think that that's, that's something they got to answer, right? You're right. I mean, Bowlesby, I think, is probably late 60s. Uh, and I don't, I don't know, you know, and do, the age, uh, the age of the, uh, that they're going to use for their model, the diversity component, the uh, actual experience on a Pac-12 campus versus just an NCAA campus, uh, having lived, you know, living on the West coast, it, it's different in the West coast. Right. And the, that, and the, that impacts the job, the challenges that are out here impact the job, the all questions that they got to answer, but you could certainly argue that, that youthful energy has got a, a big place in this and that they want somebody to be in charge for the next 10 or 15 years. I mean, they don't have quick fixes, right? Uh, he, the the media rights deal isn't going to take effect until the summer of 2024. So we're talking about a cleanup process in a lot of ways that, that's going to take several years. That I think I'd like to talk about in a little bit more detail, because when I look at the Pac-12 over the past couple of years, it's not difficult for the three of us to come up with things that in retrospect, Larry Scott should have done differently. 
But, you know, with that initial media deal, that was something that was, as I recall, cheered on by the university presidents. And we can also look back at lots of institutional level mistakes that happened over the past several years, too, right? What's what's happened with, with USC on an institutional level? We can look at some of the, the questionable coaching decisions. I'm wondering here, if you're talking to a fan or, or some outside observer, what is realistically within the control of a new conference commissioner? And what are things that are either structural, that's just part of life on the West Coast or things that really have to change at a local level for the conference fortunes to, to turn around? It's all three, Matt. I think you're totally right. It is all three. You're never going to change the time, the time zones. You are highly unlikely to ever get the broad sweep of Pac-12 fans to be as passionate as the Big Ten and SEC fans are. The alumni basis for the schools aren't as big. There's too much other things to do. I mean, there are some hurdles that are absolutely not going to change. Um, and then there are a lot of things that have to do at the campus level. I mean, there's no question that USC's issues for the last 10 years have affected Pac-12 football, right? I mean, think about the AC ACC football if there's no Clemson the last eight years, right? I mean, it'd be a dumpster fire. Uh, and Ohio State, if Ohio State was not very good right now. Basketball, same thing. UCLA hasn't been great. Arizona's in, in trouble with the law, right? The, the brands have not produced. The, the historical brands have not produced, and that's impacted the whole conference. Uh, and then there are also the things that, that the commissioner can control. And, you know, to me, basketball and football are a little different, right? Basketball, you get two or three guys, and you're in pretty good shape. You can get second, third weekend in the NCAA. But football is like this ecosystem where you've got to have every, you got to have like five different facets of campus working together properly. Then you've got to have the strategy at the conference level working so that all it's, it's putting all the programs in position for success. It is much more complicated to fix your football product than it is to fix your men's basketball product. And a lot of that has to do with the conference. They got to look at the scheduling policies. They got to look to see if there's anything they can do for recruiting. They're going to have to look and see what is the best strategy uh, across the board to help the schools with, with name image likeness, right? I mean, tons of things. And, and, and some of them, I don't know if it's one third, one third, one third, but certainly one third, you know, uh, roughly one third of the stuff the commissioner can impact. One third is, is just where they are and who they are. And then one third is the campus. I'm curious, John, you know, you obviously cover the, cover this conference quite well from the Bay area news group. Uh, a lot has been made and you've written about it before. Certainly John Canzano up in Portland has, has discussed it quite a bit. That conference office being in the heart of San Francisco, that rent, uh, do you anticipate once a commissioner is installed that possibly it's been talked about now uh, that the PAC 12 leaves that Bay area footprint? I think there's a good chance that they'll do it. Um, and that's part of the, the way so many of these issues are, you know, uh, intertwined. I don't think that they can figure out where the conference office is going to be until they figure out what they're going to do with the networks. And they can't figure out what they're going to do with the networks until they get a broader media strategy in place, right? I mean, are they going to just sell the networks to ESPN or Fox and let, let them operate out of their headquarters? Um, are they going to try to keep it together? Are they going to shut it down completely? So you got to figure that out. And then you, within that, you got to figure out where, if they're going to move or not. Uh, I can't, they are, there's no way, I don't think, that they're going to stay in San Francisco. Now, could they move to somewhere else in the Bay Area? They, you know, they were in the Walnut Creek for, for eons. Are they gonna, would they try to move to Vegas? 
Phoenix, you know, LA, I, I think that that's a big part of it. And there's no question that it's front and center on the table, but they can't make that decision independent of what happens in the PAC 12 networks. And they want the, the new commissioner to be a part of it. Uh, so I, I would, I would think it's moving, but I just don't know how far from its current location it's going to move. Right. You mentioned Las Vegas there. When we look back, especially from a fan standpoint, is that kind of the, the overall takeaway from Larry Scott's tenure is, uh, yeah, they, they kind of planted their flag in that Las Vegas market moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. And I think it's going to only increase here as we, you know, as we move forward, right. With the championship game, you know, there's going to be a lot of other Pac-12 events, in-season events, football, men's basketball uh, in Vegas. The Las Vegas Bowl is going to, you know, it's going to have the Big Ten and the SEC coming in every other year. So I think that's going to be a big part of it. And it needs to be right. It's hard to get it's hard to get fans to go anywhere these days for a neutral site. But Vegas is I mean, it's popular. The men's basketball tournament, that's been a great gig. That was one of his, maybe his best move other than, than expansion. Um, so I, I would expect it to, to continue. They do probably have to think about, you know, um, the, the Rams new stadium and just, you know, maybe sending the championship game down there once every few years. I mean, you know, LA is an important piece of it. Um, they have the LA bowl now, but I, I would imagine we might see the football championship game in LA every, every few years, but, but most of their center of gravity should be in Vegas. And that will also help them with recruiting in Vegas. Um, and it will help attract uh, other teams, right? I mean, you can get an SEC team to go play. You can get, you know, Auburn USC on Labor Day weekend in Vegas. I wouldn't think that's all. That's a heavy lift at all. No, uh, it, it, it makes sense on a bunch of different levels. I mean, I, I know that that people made fun of the Pac-12s. Um, efforts to grow their reach in China, but from a student recruitment perspective and from a holistic academic perspective, it made a lot of sense. And given that Vegas is, there's a lot of folks there that aren't from Vegas and are moving to that area to try to plant that flag there and maybe try to steal a few more out-of-state students for some of these schools that need that money, it, it makes sense. You'd want to think about, about other markets beyond just uh, from a football perspective. Um, I guess on that note, I, I feel like I would be remiss if we were to, to, talk, to talk with somebody who is so plugged into this league uh, and not ask the, the crazy message board question. Um, do you think there's any risk at all over the next decade that one or both of the Los Angeles schools might decide the tension between them and some of the, the poor markets in this league is too great and they decide to go independent or leave? My understanding is there's not the same grant of rights agreement tying everybody together like there is maybe in some other leagues. And that's historically been a tension out west between Los Angeles and some of the markets in the north. Well, I think we'll know the answer in the next two years because uh, if if USC and UCLA sign up for the next media, you know, if they're part of the next media rights negotiations yeah. and they're all in with whatever the conference comes up with, then I think that they're in for good, or at least for the next couple of decades, right? Sure. I mean, if there's a if there's going to be a break, it's going to be before then, and if there's going to be a break, I mean, it's going to be at sea, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know. If it's is it SC just going independent, or is it SC and UCLA going together somewhere? the The thing that is difficult for fans to understand is, you know, there is the 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 academic piece of that is, is very strong with the four California schools. They want to be associated with each other. The LA schools want to be associated 
with Cal and Stanford. There's no question about that. At the presidential level, the trustee level, the regents level, the state political level, that is a huge deal. And it's even bigger now, I think, because USC has done so much in the last 10 years to raise its academic profile. I mean, it's now a top 25 school, U.S. News World yeah. Report. Um, Research powerhouse. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the breaking away thing, I, I don't see it happening. But I think if it is going to happen, we will certainly know in the next two years. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, USC is not they are not happy campers right now. I'm not saying they're going to that this is going to cause them to leave. But right now, after what happened in that Pac-12 championship game, they are not, <laughs> they are not happy. They're, they're, uh, you know, there's a long line of schools that were looking for a commissioner change. And I would have to, my guess is that they were near the front of the line. I mean, shoot, their their new athletic director was was you know throwing a little bit of oil on that fire even before the season started, was, talking yes. about yeah, like we're going to evaluate all potential options, which is not conciliary athletic director speak beforehand. You know, certainly, I would imagine they would have to be the, the program that's the most frustrated. I, I mean, even before the championship game, which was right. significant. And I would think that there's a there is a decent chance, and I, this is just my own opinion. I yeah, don't sure. have any reason for thinking it, but. I mean, we could see some kind of deal in the next meeting where there is some kind of market share premium given to the LA schools. Maybe not what the way it was as imbalanced as it was before, but maybe not a completely all-in deal like they have now. I mean, I think that that's going to be something that gets discussed for sure. I was going to say, Matt and I on the previous episode discussed a little bit about realignment. Um, I'm curious if you think because there are some new presidents involved, if there's a new commissioner coming in that uh, maybe might be inclined to potentially add some schools, is that feasible? Uh, I don't see where they're gonna, there's value to add, to be honest. Uh, to me, west of Norman, Oklahoma, at this point, it is a wasteland. Uh, in terms of, not in terms of the quality of the schools or the athletic departments, but who can enter the league and in doing so, increase the number of pie slices and increase the size of the pie slices, right? I mean, the current 12 are going to have to get bigger. They're going to have to add schools that are going to increase their revenue. And I don't, I just, based on the markets, the TV markets that are out here, I don't see how that's going to happen. Boise's not big enough. San Diego uh, is already part of the Pac-12 uh, DMA. So, I just don't know where they could go, to be honest with you, uh, to, to better the revenue prospects for the collective. To me, th their, their only move is to, to somehow make some kind of deal with the Big 12 in terms of a scheduling agreement. Because if you lock in a certain number of football games per year between those conferences, you can get every TV window starting at not uh, at noon, noon Eastern, right? Because the big 12 can play at 11 AM on campus. And you, so you got noon Eastern kickoff all the way through 10 30 PM Eastern kickoff. Uh, if you did some kind of scheduling agreement to me, that's a, that's probably their best option. That, that would make sense. Um, John, thanks so much for spending some time here with us. I mean, for, for our listeners here, I think John's reporting is so invaluable that I've, I've subscribed, uh, I, I bought a subscription and I live in Chicago and I, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan uh, individually of any of these particular institutions, but if you want to understand financially and structurally what's going on under the hood out West, uh, it, it, it is worth your money. I appreciate that. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. I yep. love talking about this stuff. It was a great no, conversation. We, we, we do too. This is a, this is, this is our wheelhouse.
This week's episode is brought to you here by our partners with the San Diego State University Sports MBA program. Whether you're in a sports role and looking to bolster your resume or pivot your career into working full-time in sports, the sports-focused MBA program at SDSU can help you get there. Join SDSU Sports MBA's 400-plus alumni with exciting roles in college athletics, pro sports, agencies, brands, and many more segments of the industry by enrolling in the next cohort starting classes this fall. Applications are open now through March 1st, and due to a COVID-19 adjustment this year only, you don't even have to take the GMAT or the GRE. To attend an information session, speak to an alum, start your application, or learn more, visit sdsu.edu slash sportsmba. This podcast is also a product of the Extra Points newsletter, which I imagine many of you are familiar with. If you love going for two, chances are you'd also love Extra Points, which publishes four times a week, digging into the -the off-the-field forces that shape college athletics. And if you aren't already a paid subscriber and aren't already getting all of the Extra Points content, now it's a great time. You could try promo code for 2 that's spelled G-O-F-O-R, two, like the number, to get a 20% off uh, your paid subscription. That's at www.extrapointsmb.com slash go for two. That way you can get all of the Extra Points content without having to pay full price. Brian, I think that was a really helpful and and impactful analysis of of what is actually going on and and what happened and and where the league's going for here uh, in, in the future. The, the big question about whether you go insider or outsider is really fascinating to me, especially in a league like the Pac-12, because there's college athletics experience and understanding campus life is, is one thing. But as you know, what that means something different on in the Pac-12, the, the college athletic culture on the West Coast is significantly different than what it is in the Midwest or in the South or other parts here of the country. That friction between your campus and the conference office is is there in every league and, and it's always going to exist, but how you manage that, how you massage those egos, and that is a key part of this job in, in the Pac-12 for the next couple of years, because frankly, the you know a lot of people around the Pac-12 were at their wits end. And so I think it's going to be a fascinating search because um, you have some new college presidents like John mentioned, but I think every, all 12 campuses are really going to have a say in terms of, you know, we, we want somebody that knows us versus somebody that uh, we're just starting to know. Yeah, I philosophically am generally, you know, happy when, when schools go outside the box for filling any kind of position, in part because I think there's a significant diversity problem in college athletics. We've, we've talked a lot, and I think we've both written a fair amount about what that looks like at the coaching level, but on the administrative level, too. And if you limit who can become a conference commissioner to people who have already been high-level athletic directors or have this very specific kind of experience, you're generally pulling from the same group of, you know, white guys in their in their mid fifties, uh, or who came from like a finance background in particular, right? Because as as college athletics has become more complicated, generally the people that become athletic directors are the people that that handle the money. Either you're an outbound revenue generation or you're like a CFO type and you're handling it. So when you look at the Pac-12 and you think, well, 
you know, they have a chance to be able to maybe tap some, some conference leadership, some conference commissioner leadership in leagues that are different from the PAC 12 or that don't necessarily have football or have slightly different backgrounds that might be beneficial from a uh, diversity standpoint and diversity of thought and experience standpoint. But maybe in this case, they really do need something that is a little bit more traditional. And I mean, there's probably a half dozen athletic directors or former athletic directors that have more, have a profile more similar to Jim Phillips um, than, than Larry Scott. Yeah. I think when you look at this Pac-12 search, you can kind of divide the candidate pools into kind of three groups. Obviously you have these sitting ADs that are uh, currently out there that maybe know, have a connection to the league, have been on a campus in Pac-12. You're, you're Gene Smith, you're Greg Burns, you're uh, certainly Bernard Mears uh, at Stanford that uh, are going to get consideration for this job, I, I think. And you know, John mentioned a little bit of the politics of, of promoting somebody from an athletic chair, director's chair uh, to getting hired by these presidents. But uh, I think there are some strong candidates out there in that group. And and then there's kind of the in-between the ADs and the outsiders. Uh, somebody like Oliver Luck, I think, is who has that on-campus experience, granted, at, at West Virginia, but he has a strong connection to the Stanford program from his son Andrew playing there. You know, he's been on a lot of campuses. Yeah, he was plugged in the NCAA, right? And there's and outside of the Big Ten, what league is more connected to like the Indianapolis, you know, thought than than the Pac-12? That's they've historically been the man. And and Oliver Luck was a big part of that. And I think you you ask people around Indianapolis and, and people that dealt with him at, at the NCAA level, they thought. You know, not only was he a breath of fresh air, but, you know, somebody who kind of got it on a person to person basis. And so I think he's, he's obviously going to be a strong candidate. WCC commissioner and Gloria Navarez, somebody that has uh, intimate Pac-12 experience, having been in the league office for several years. And she's who I would hire. Um, you know, if it, if it was if it was me, I having that very deep connection to Pac-12 institutions, uh, somebody who when I've talked to her has looked at cha- name, image and likeness changes as um an opportunity rather than some kind of existential threat. And remember like when she got hired at the WCC, like that first week, that was right when Gonzaga was openly flirting with the mountain West conference, right? You had the entire, um, you had this existential threat to league stability and she's able to come in there and help mollify uh, your major market and a, a school that has much more influence than, than their peers and keep everybody together. Um, and that's a skill set that I think would be important now within the Pac-12, the, the, the big knock, right, is that they don't have football. They don't have that, that same kind of media rights deal. And, and when I look at the landscape now, and I could think of several forward-thinking, accomplished, pretty, you know, smart women who are conference commissioners who aren't leading FBS leagues. And if you make that the, the only requirement to becoming a Power 5 conference commissioner, I think that's to the detriment of college athletics. Um, has a connection with, with ESPN as well from her, her time at the WCC. So I think there is still that, that media component aspect that uh, w- would make her a strong candidate. I, I do agree. I think uh, she would be this kind of slam dunk because of, you know, the connection to the Pac-12 and, and knowing it as well as she does. And, you know, let's face it, you go back, you know, when when commissioners were getting hired for these roles, typically they were running a smaller league and go back to, to Mike's live. Jim Delaney. Jim Delaney, a perfect example as well. So, um, you know, that is a great on-the-job training for these bigger jobs. And I think you go from that kind of group to the true outsiders. Randy Freer is somebody that, um, a former Fox Sports and, and Hulu executive that uh, I think has that connection from doing the first deal uh, with Fox and, and the Pac-12. I think that's who the Pac-12 presidents wanted to hire as a consultant to begin with, to uh, handle some of those conversations and report to them instead of Scott. Uh, he has a bunch of West Coast ties. I would 
this is just me, would steadfastly recommend the league does not hire another outsider media person, even if that might potentially help them maximize revenue, because there's some there's some cultural problems. There's some problems with this product um, that you can't get just from grabbing the person who can get you the biggest check. Uh, and I'm just going to leap out in front of you here because we are contractually obligated to mention outsider candidates for the Pac-12. Someone's going to float Condoleezza Rice. Don't do it. Yep. You don't have to do it. Don't do it. And I think she's kind of comfortable where, where she's at. Uh, I don't know if she wants kind of the, the day-to-day stress of that comes with running a, a Pac-12. Plus, I think there would be a, a little bit of hesitancy from some of the other other schools in, in the league, given that so many close ties to Stanford. Yeah. That would be a factor almost working against her a little bit as well. Uh, c- could you imagine the conversation at, at Cal? To, to not only bring in like the Stanford person, but also a person tied to the Bush administration, uh, tied to a lot of policies that look way worse, uh, given our highly politicized uh, um, environment right now. Like it, d- dealing dealing with the fallout and the political mess from all that would be torture. And, and it's just not something I don't think anybody really needs to do. And I give credit to The Athletic. They kind of floated Damani Leach, the CEO of, of NFL International. And when you look at the resume, it, it is uh, stellar. Uh, played a big role, really, in the the expansion of the FCS tournament and making that much more of a bigger deal. He's, he's done a terrific job in really expanding the NFL, so not only over in, in London, but uh, yeah. elsewhere internationally. And, um, you know, when, when you talk with people that have known him uh, and, and interacted with him, uh, you know, I think they, they all give a glowing recommendation for him in, in, a, in a role like this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not totally sure where this is going to end up. And I think for Pac-12 fans who are listening to this and are glad that you're, the last conference commissioner is gone, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and defend everything that Larry Scott did. But, you know, again, I'm not really somebody that subscribes to the, the great man theory of college athletics or one person is going to come in and, and have a cultural shift at so many different institutions. Ultimately, you got to hope that some of these university presidents become more invested in athletics. Um, you have to hope that some more of these coaching hires pan out. And it looks some more money would be nice. Cal, Oregon State, Wazoo. These programs need more money. There's there's debt issues at at some of these athletic departments that are going to make capital improvements more challenging. Schools that want to start other sports and can't because they need money right now. But it's more than just money. And and this hire, I think, ultimately, we're going to judge this next hire, whether they're successful, by stuff that has nothing to do with the media rights deal, even though that's going to be the biggest thing that people talk about. You're exactly right. The media focus, uh, and really for the fans as well, it's all going to come down to that dollar figure. You know, how, how much is the Pac-12 going to get? But I think it is, is so much more than that. If the Pac-12 really does view themselves as one of the Power Five conferences, uh, a lot of that's going to come down to investment into not just athletics, but in football in particular, facilities, coaching, coaching staffs, which is really where they've lagged uh, behind. Uh, you know, I saw something the other day in terms of the number of creative people that work for Pac-12 athletic departments. It's half of what is out there in the SEC. And, and that is such an easy fix. I mean, we're, n- we're not talking about having to spend a million dollars on an assistant coach. You're talking about, you know, mid-level salaries for, you know, five or six or seven more staffers. You know, that, that's something that all these Pac-12 campuses can easily address. And it's a better touch point for their fans. It's, it brings in, you know, not only new fans out there, but it really connects the current fan base that you have with what's going on in your program. And so there are minor things that a commissioner can fix easily. It's funny you mentioned that. We're recording this here on a Monday afternoon, and I'm going to write about that exact phenomenon later this week about 
creatives and how that touches with recruiting and how that touches with with academics. And there are infrastructure investments, you're right, that many of these schools have not made. And I'm personally a critic of this idea that we have to double our coaching salary pool every six years in order to be successful. I think if we look back at how UCLA or USC or some of these other schools have managed the resources they already had, it's hard for me to look at this and go, well, you know, USC's problem right now is that they just don't have enough money. Like, no, (laughs) money isn't the reason you have Clay Helton and money isn't the reason that you had Operation Varsity Blues and, and that you've, you know, failed to develop an offensive lineman for the past six past six cycles. Um, but there are some things independent of coaching staffs that have just not been a priority or not been executed. And um, I imagine that will change, whether that's with the conference commissioner or at the institutional level. Um, we are butting up here, I, I think, I think on our time limit, but you know, I, I, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk with John. I'm glad that we had a chance to, to dig into this here. We're going to continue to follow, I think, some of these similar stories um, on extra points um, and I think in future uh, conversations, I mean, on, on Monday on Extra Points, we had a, a, a fairly long newsletter about uh, why my home now, Chicagoland, doesn't produce as many college football uh, players as it, as it used to. I think a lot of those similar you know, issues could are, are true in the Bay Area. They're true in Los Angeles. And that's going to fall under this particular footprint about what we're doing with staffing levels for, for social as, as part of this conversation. We're going to continue to revisit that here over the coming weeks. Um, Brian, where else can people find you right now? Well, they can always find me on Twitter at Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Uh, a little bit of everything on, on that Twitter feed, but that's uh, where everybody can really find me. Um, awesome. You can, of course, find me at Matt Brown EP. Uh, on Twitter and on extra points at extrapointsmb.com. If you are interested in uh, sponsoring future editions of this podcast or uh, purchasing some sponsorships here at uh, the newsletter, drop me a note at sales at extrapointsmb.com. In the meantime, uh, this has been another issue edition of Going for Two. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next week.